Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot. Where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Welcome home, Brains. There's only one requirement to hang out on the edge, is that you open your big brain and close your small mind. Did you bring your thinking caps? It's time to put them on, because the conversation starts Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. You are at the spot, the location, the place where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Brains, I want you to meet my friend, Carolyn Kahn. Hi, everyone. Carolyn came down from Northern California to uh, San Diego to visit some friends, and I said, well, let's go have lunch. We went and had lunch. She brought the dog. We had the best conversation. It's wonderful. So I always tell my brains that if you're ever in San Diego, please connect with me. I treat you good. Don't I treat you good, Carol? Absolutely. Great, great lunch. Great Absolutely. Lunch. Well, let me tell you, this woman here has got one heck of a story. <laughs> By trade, uh, she's a nurse. Uh, you're former military also, aren't you? U.S. Public Health Service, yes. U.S. Public Health Services. She's worked in the prison system, and boy, she's got a story to tell us about that. Uh, she's also working and coaching with individuals right now that discover that they have ADHD at a later age in life. They've been going through this thing called life, thinking that something's wrong with them, that they're slow, they're being judged, they're being mistreated, they're having difficulty focusing. Uh, and then sometimes they have children that have the same genetic trait. So we're going to talk to her about that. And also exciting. She's going to give us a little tidbit of her book uh, that she's writing. So I'm so excited to have her here and for you guys to meet my friend, Carol Kahn. How are you, honey? Great day. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're looking fabulous. <laughs> Thank you. So are you, by the way. I love the well, glasses. Thank, so. you, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I have an exciting um, visit today. I was invited. I don't know if you've seen the Netflix movie, um, The Blue Zone. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm invited to meet the doctor that has went on that expedition. And uh, we're going to have lunch. Now, girl, I don't know what we're going to eat. Probably eat strong. <laughs> we won't have the luxurious fat filled greasy good stuff that we had when we were together but i'm excited uh so tell my brains a little bit about you and how you show up in the world and then we're going to get to the good stuff right okay so i am a a life coach and i work mostly with adults with adhd in part because what i found out was a lot of my clients have adhd and a lot of them didn't understand what their symptoms were uh, part of the challenge is that with ADHD, there's a lot of comorbidities, a lot of other problems like anxiety. So there's a lot of misdiagnosis. So that's what drove me to, to where I am. And going back a bit, as I was growing up, I had problems in school, uh, problems learning, failed, I don't know how many classes, truly, even got kicked out of nursing school the first try. Um, and then I woke up and I began to have a true goal and a purpose. And I became very goal-driven and wound up getting my nursing degree, my bachelor's degree, and eventually my master's degree. So what I've learned is from my own background and then years of 
not quite understanding what was going on, I finally got diagnosed in my early 40s. And it's just very relieving um, to know what the issue is and to know you're not alone. So it took 100 pounds off my head with just knowing that I'm not the only one. And no, I'm not stupid like they told me in school. Mm -hmm. Well, you got, you know, you're not stupid. You got more degrees than a thermometer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it takes a lot. And I know that you had to do double the effort because of the simple fact that you had these challenges. What were some of the underlining uh, symptoms or situations that you ran across that made you go and do the deep dive and to try to get a diagnosis for what you found was a challenge? Okay, so I'm very easily distracted. Um, I could be talking to you and if there's something happening on the side, I can't take my mind off of what's happening on the side. Mm. So it's hyper hyper focused when you really, really like what you're doing so that the hours go by. But if you aren't really vetted into what you're doing, it's hard to concentrate. Um, a lot of people have depression and I was one of those of, you know, just didn't feel good, but didn't know it was depression. Mm. And then there were just, it's hard. If you give me a list of numbers to add, I, my first job was an assistant bookkeeper and I would, this is before computers. And I would have to add the column up. And honestly, every time I would add them up, it would be different numbers. And so I could add them up 20 times and each time I would get a different result. So those are just a few of them. And so what does, what, um, was your aha moment that you said, you know what, let me go and see if I can be tested for something. Is this neurological? Is this depression, anxiety? Am I just tripping? (laughs) So, so very honestly, a friend of mine, um, who I went to elementary school with called me up one day and literally said, I know what's wrong with us. We have ADHD. And what happened was two of her kids were having problems in school And this was back in the day where ADHD wasn't really something talked about. And so she, as a teacher, went and did her research, figured it out, then understood that it's an inherited problem in many families. And once she figured it out, if she had it, then I probably had it because our symptoms were common. We're, you know, we're very much alike. So because of that, I then said, all right, let me go find someone who specializes in ADHD. And that's what drove me. It was a friend saying, I think I know. Wow. See, friends are good for a lot of things, brains. So when you went and you got, uh, you know, when you decided to get the diagnosis, what kind of things did they do? Did they give you certain testing? Was there something, a blood test? I have no idea. What were some of the things that they did to help you uncover and discover what was going on? So what they did is they did a computer concentration test. Mm. And so it was literally every time something would go back and forth, as soon as it aligned, you'd have to click a button. And it kept going back and forth. And of course, when you have ADHD, you lose your interest pretty quickly. And so you get slower and slower at recognizing it. Whereas somebody with ADHD doesn't lose that attentive, uh, the, the attention span. Okay. And then they did similar computer tests. And then they did... 
a long interview in terms of past history, current symptoms, and then it suddenly became clear. And, you know, I, I'll point out, you know, I'm a nurse and I had worked in mental health, but because ADHD wasn't a thing back Carolyn, explain to us a little bit about the diagnosis. You know, when you went in and you decided to meet with a doctor, now is it a doctor? psychologist, psychiatrist, who would you go and see firstly? So I went to a psychiatrist, but you could also go to a psychologist. Okay. So they, that would be the, the, the person that you'd see. Now, what, what did they do to you to help you, um, you know, come to a resolution and, and figure out what the diagnosis is? So what they did was, or what she did, um, again, this was really at the beginnings of ADHD where we didn't know that much. So um, she offered me medication oh, and yeah. let's, let's drug it. Let's <laughs> drug it. Yeah. But, but, but it was really, so they put me on a medication that really helped with, um, with depression, but it also helped a little bit with my focus. And I was, tr I was on the same medication for 20 years, the same dose. Um, and that's all they did. I didn't go back to her for counseling or anything at that point. Again, nowadays, they're much more proactive and people should be much more proactive about going for some kind of help, which is, again, why I became a coach. And, you know, I think coaching is very helpful for people um, because if you're in groups with people or you talk to people of like experiences and you start learning other people's skills and how they achieved what they did, so for me, I didn't have that availability at that point. Uh -oh. Wow. Yeah, because again, back in the day, you know, they would just say, oh, you know, your kid's a little special. Let us put them in the other classroom. They're a little disruptive. You know, families would be oh, yes. by it. I was, I was disruptive. Yes, I was. I got and kicked out of class. On the spectrum, is this ADHD? That is something that is, you know, different for every person. Some people can have it more severe with other underlying contributing factors some can be mild and it you know be totally functional but still trying to understand it and you know figuring that out in at 40 that was something else but girl you said you worked in mental health i did i worked at saint elizabeth's uh with the male deaf adolescent psychiatric unit wow yeah wow that's a courage that's encouraging. But let's fast forward. I want them to hear the story of your work in the prison system. Brains, sit down for this one. Carolyn, tell them what's going on and what happened. Um, so I was working as a nurse. I'd been there for 25 years. And in when you're working with um, inmates who have... Um, have talked about wanting to hurt themselves or being suicidal, we put them in a safety cell and then we have to offer them water every two hours. So it was a few minutes before I was getting off shift and I asked the deputy at the desk to please open the food port, which is just a little box on the door and that's where I could put the water. Well, the sergeant came out and just opened the door and I didn't know the inmate's history, the sergeant did. So he opened the door, stood by the door jam, 
then I literally walked next to him, stood by the door jam, put my hand out with the water and got socked in the face by the inmate. Um, wound up with a few broken teeth, a few broken bones, a concussion. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of rage. You're an encaged animal at that point. Your whole mental, uh, I can't even imagine the, the, what that person might be going through. And I'm not, not being sympathetic to you because, you know, I've got your back 110%. But I also feel for the inmate, no socialization. You're getting your food through a little porthole, minimal daylight, exercise. Where is the rehabilitation brains of these? So inmates? let me let me just tell you, with this particular guy, history of drug abuse, in and out of jails for theft and robbery. Um, he had been destructive in the jail, which is why he was in an area where he was dangerous to others. Um, so for him, because of his own behavior, it was not only keeping him safe, but truly keeping the other inmates safe because he would literally destroy property. Of course, I didn't know that the sergeant knew that. I don't go in and read their whole history. I just know that they're there for whatever reason. And the other thing is a lot of times people will say they're suicidal when they're not because they want a change of housing they don't like the cellmate they have or truthfully sometimes they want to go to the hospital and so they fake not feeling well or cut themselves in a way where it's not really going to do anything but they're really trying to get to the emergency room so they could be admitted for a few days and have their own room and food and tv that's a lot of behavioral stuff it is a lot of behavioral stuff, but that was, I think, was that the worst of the things that you experienced working with individuals with mental health challenges? I know that you've seen a lot. You know. Yeah, I had I had one other one who, um, that was at St. Elizabeth's, who literally jumped up in the air and was coming down on me, and two of my coworkers, thank God, grabbed him before he literally got to physically touch me. So that was the only near experience I ever had. You know, and... I always say that nurses and teachers are my favorite people on the planet. Well, children, dogs, and uh, senior citizens. So, okay, I got a bunch. But nurses and teachers do not get the credit. Uh, you can't pay them enough to work with someone that is mentally challenged or physically enabled, uh, you know, emotionally unstable on drugs. You risk your life every single time you approach them. I had one of my guests on the show that told me that her patient bit her and then the family cussed her out. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been my resignation, but she continued to forge ahead. And so I thank you for your sacrifice. Not only did you do that, thank but you also worked with individuals in the military and there's a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a big gap between the services that the women get versus the service that the men get and the trauma that they experience. Tell us a little bit about that. Are you talking about PTSD or just yes. what I did? Mm -hmm. well, well, PTSD and the work that you did um, with individuals it, in that space. Right. So public health service is a little different than the five armed services. And we really are focused on health for the United States. And it is historically for the underserved. So they started the Indian Health Service uh, medical system 
a lot of the clinics in underserved communities. And so um, NIH, National Institute of Health, has a lot of us. And so I went in initially for occupational health, working with federal employees in the federal buildings, and then wound up doing Medicare fraud for my last 15 years, working with Medicare. So while I was a public health servant, I had a variety of functions, but I also was in the emergency response team. So about once a year, I would go to some disaster and we would be there in whatever site like Tennessee or um, in the flooding in New York. And then I was on the mental health team and we would serve the employees of the medical services being offered to the employees. So you had a lot of stress, you had a lot of hard emotions. And I was the first nurse on a mental health team. So once they understood the value of it, they started putting nurses on all the mental health teams. Um, so the, the the most fun and challenging was when I went to American Samoa. Um, they had um, a, a disaster, a tsunami, and a lot of deaths. And so I was there seeing patients and um, because of my home health background, was able to do a lot of things that a nurse in general wouldn't do. So I had a lot of autonomy and very gratifying work. And you feel like you're really doing something useful for others. I just don't. Well, how do people, I can't say people, I can only ask you, how do you pick that specialty to decide to, you know, I mean, you could have worked in cardiology, you could have worked in, uh, you know, prenatal, gynecology, anything, but mental health, because mental health is not transparent, friends, okay? It's scary and it's risky. And I think that is why we have a lot of, death, um, misunderstandings with police officers. They are not trained mental health specialists. And when somebody is going from a flicker to a flame, they're afraid too. They don't know what is coming ahead. So you don't know where this person is. I know I've got a neighbor and it's breaking my heart, breaking my heart. I've seen him deteriorate to the point where now I saw him and his pants was pulled down to his knees and saw his skinny booty. Um, and I would pull over and I would give him food and I'd give him money and all this. And his hair is matted. And I said, you know, are you ready for some help? And he goes, no. So they have to be ready to show up. And, but what I don't understand is like, why isn't he ready? I mean, I don't understand why you want to live in squalor. Why you don't have, you know, you got dirty clothes on you. Your butt ain't had a shower and I don't know when. I don't know what that trigger is. I don't know what to do, how to approach. All I can do is love from a distance. But then again, I've got to back off because it's dangerous now. He's, you know, I'm seeing him talking to the you know, third person and arms flaring and all that. I don't know what to do. So first of all, I, I feel bad for them and, and it's hard to watch. Oh. Um, but Part of the problem is, and it depends on a particular person and, and what their issues are, but sometimes you have a degradation of the brain, so different parts of the brain are affected. And I see that a lot with people who've used meth because it's a new drug and it's extremely destructive. And 
it's one of the illnesses we don't even have medication for. But so part of it is you have chemical processes that do permanent damage to the brain. And depending on the part of the brain it affects, there may there may not be any coming back. Mm, mm, mm. So part well, of it, know, is... it was funny because and I'm glad that you said that because mm. um, uh, I saw him and he had his hand kind of closed. And then when he kind of opened it, I saw a pipe. And I said, well, you know what? I said, I'm going to give you some money. I said, but I'm not giving my money to the dope man. That's what I'm not doing. Uh, 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 no, 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 I'm say for no, I'm going to say for so you, you know, what you got this for you? It's not a tobacco pipe. So again, you know, Drug use, you know, you and I saw a unsheltered person and you offered them their food. I offered them money. And I said to myself, I understand, you know, what you're saying, but sometimes that drug, and I'm not justifying it, he could have some sort of medical condition and that drug gets the angst off of him. He could need a beer to get through. He might need to get shelter. You don't know what people need. So I try to give without conditions, without restrictions, where I understand your position is if you're going to help them, feed them and, and try to, you know, clothe them and, and put it in a different direction. But I just try to give and I, I have to pull back because I'm a giver to a fault. And again, when I saw that pipe, I was like, that was my key indicator. But even with a potential drug use, I still want to help. I don't want him to be out there snatching somebody's purse. I don't want him to be there trying to go through withdrawals by himself. It's just a tough, it's a tough road. And then when you have a family member in your house or your kids, you don't know what to do. You do not know what to do, and they're a danger. So thank you. Thank you for being on the forefront of that because that's really a challenge. So let's move uh, past this a little bit, and let's talk about your book. You are drafting a book. Tell us a little bit about that. So I am writing a book on ADHD basically to help people understand what ADHD looks like in an adult. Um, the challenge with adults is if they had ADHD, if someone has ADHD as a child and it's diagnosed as a child, the symptoms can change into adulthood. So you have some people who think and have told me, oh, I don't have ADHD anymore. So can it go into remission? Can it disappear? Yes, it can. But for a lot of people, it just changes in what it looks like. Then you have a large number of people like me who were in an age where ADHD wasn't really a thing. And so they don't really know what, what it is. And so part of my goal is to help people look at a list of ideas, concepts, and it's very brief outlines of, oh, this might be me, let me go see. And then I want them to see a professional. I don't want anybody to self-diagnose because that's what I did initially and my friend did. But I think that today, especially we understand that there are many other codependencies and over 50% of people with ADHD 
have a secondary problem, most often either anxiety or depression. So I think it's really important that people understand that this isn't normal because we don't know what normal is other than what we live and experience. Let me park the park it right there for a minute. You say anxiety or depression. That <laughs> is a, do you think that that is a subset of the ADHD? Because, you know, you get depressed because of the pressure that's put on you or the judgment against you or not being able to fit in. You have the anxiety because you're always in, you know, an angst flight or flight trying to figure out what it is. Do they normally go together one or the other? And does that develop at a later time or just from your experience? So I would tell you, yeah, from the research I've read and I've read a lot, um, I haven't seen where the ADHD causes that. I think it, because the synapses of the brain aren't working the way they're supposed to, it's very possible that that slight alteration in the different diagnoses causes it to be a separate diagnosis. Mm. Um, I can see for some people, um, possibly for me, um, you you go through life being challenged with can't study, being yelled at, um, not being successful, failing school. Um, In personal life could be failed marriages, bad relationships. Um, And so that can become a depressing issue. Um, and it can lead you to depression. Um, so I think it depends on the particular person and what evolves, you know, where it evolves from. I don't think they really know at this point. Now, I know that you don't work with children, you work with adults, but give us some hope. What are the current treatment options that people are looking into? Again, brains, we're not doctors, so this is a disclaimer. This is based upon the research that she's done, the work that she's done. She uh, has a master's degree. So I just kind of want to figure out and listen to what she's seeing with regards to current therapies, maybe drug options that they're looking at, because you know they're really pushing these psychedelics for everything, okay? They're, they, you know, we got a magic mushroom. We got a, we got a joint, <laughs> You know, we got some CBD oil. We, you know, we could put you on Arawesca. They're trying to, to me, I think they're trying to trip us out even more. But just what's your experience? What is the current therapy uh, treatments and options that people are looking at these days? So I encourage people not to take medication initially, that it's really important to first try other things. So there's a variety of mental health options. Um, it's the reason that. I really got into neurolinguistic programming, NLP and hypnosis, because with me, once I went through the um, course, so I went through basic up to train the trainer. So I spent three years being trained in NLP and it got me off of my medication. And I'm not saying that it's going to get everybody off medication. That's not my point. It's for me, it worked. And I was able to get off of a medicine that I was on for 20 years. And so I think that the value of understanding that there are a lot of ways to learn and get support, but it's important to get diagnosed. And that's the key of, you know, don't self-diagnose, make sure that you know what it is that you have, because if it is something that can benefit an example, bipolar, bipolar diagnoses and, and OCD, um, 
are things where medication really does help and counseling can help, but for some things, medication really does help. So I think it's important for people to first be clear on, is this really what I have? So I think therapy and talking to someone, and then based upon what the findings are, medication as a trial may be okay. But as you just said, what's happening is the drug companies are pushing drugs. So doctors, it's, you know, if you go to a family practitioner, it's so easy to have them say, let's try a medicine instead of referring you to, to make sure that we're getting an accurate diagnosis. Wow. You have to be your own advocate, Brains. You got to keep Yes, you do. Yeah, you do. You have a, you know, a, a person that supports you, be it a good friend or a family member that you trust, that you can say, hey, you know what? I'm spiraling out of control. There's something that's not right. Can you help me? Um, and then there's right. people that just completely you know, die by suicide. They just can't take it. And so we and, and then the, right. that. The, the, uh, sorry to cut you off. The other problem is that number one, they're in some areas that are underserved. You don't have enough mental health people. And then insurance doesn't always cover. So now because of telemedicine, you know, on the computer, the world has opened up to therapy. So I would remind people just because there isn't a provider in your area doesn't mean that you can't access this, uh, care. And then there's community clinic access that will often help you on a sliding scale. If you can't afford it, they'll look at what you can afford and, you know, in many cases, help you access the therapy that you need. Well, you are a blessing. You are, because I'm telling you, I've been socked in the face. <laughs> And one tooth missing, even I have a nosebleed or a black eye, I would have been done, stick a fork in it, it's over. But you have been able to bounce back, uh, going in a different direction, I get that, but still willing to help, willing to be a sounding board, to be supportive, to use your nursing credentials, to help other people that are challenging and they're stuck inside their own head. Um, to do neuro-linguistic programming and hypnosis to help people try to figure it out. Um, so I thank you for your courage. So let's ask some thank fun you. things. Okay. So uh, your dog, tell us mm -hmm. a little bit about your dog. So I have a Bernadoodle. She's so and So yeah, I was very blessed in the... Um, the breeder gave her up because she had some challenges with between some of her dogs. And so I got her about five months ago and she's just been a joy. So working with her has really, is that, does that help you through your therapy and through, you know, times when you are anxious or times when you are depressed, did you really find a comfort animal was a lot of support for you? Yeah. So she's a special needs dog. And it, before I got her walking outside after dark, I couldn't do it. And now last night at one o'clock, we were taking a walk. So mm -hmm. I had to make, in the morning? yes. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I, now, I, now I still wouldn't do it, but still. <laughs> but, but I also, you know, I had to move from where I was living because I didn't feel comfortable anymore. And I needed a change of environment. So that was part of the change that I made that not everybody has the liberty to do. And then getting the dog has made being out in public much more comfortable. Um, you know, it, it, it's 
you have to find something that works. And this has just been a blessing. Yeah. Well, I see a lot of people, but I'm going to tell you, be, I'm going to be honest. Some people uh, take advantage of that comfort animal. Yeah. You know, you will see them. I know I was on an airplane and this big 85 pound German shepherd is sitting next to me. Awesome. We ain't doing that for five hours. We're not doing that. I don't know what the dog's temperament is. I don't know if they don't like me. They can feel my anxiety, wherever it is. So, you know, Brains, if you need a comfort animal, I totally support that 110%. But if this is just your pet, you know, and your pet is considered as your children, you know, your pet parents, I get it. But don't get it confused. You know, uh, it's disrespectful and it really uh, minimizes the importance and the significance of what that animal is doing for that individual that's in their care. Carolyn, if you were an appliance in the kitchen, what appliance would you be, girl? Coffee baker. Why? Because it brings a smile and joy every morning. Oh my goodness. Well, that's good. I think I'd be the spice grinder. <laughs> I, I want to keep it spicy and hot and, you know, that makes sense. Nice and smooth <laughs> so that it mixes into the ingredients. You know, that's me. That's me. If you were a flower in the garden, what flower would you be? Definitely a rose. Hmm. Um, a lot I of like, roses. Yeah, I like the way they're closed and you don't know what's inside them. And then all of a sudden they open up to their beauty. They do. And they have such a beautiful fragrance. I like tulips and gladiolas, but the tulip is... Um, I noticed that my husband, he he loves them too. But when they bloom, they just kind of go kind of wild. They just go wherever they want to go. And there's so many different colors and varieties that make you happy. What makes you happy? Not the dog, not your work, but just really what brings joy to, to Carolyn? Being outside, um, being out in the open, the fresh air, and being with friends. Yeah. You love being with friends. That's good. You came to visit some friends here and travel. Yeah. That's really yeah. good. Travel for sure. Yeah. Carolyn, what do you want your legacy to be? I want people to remember me for someone who made a difference in their life. I always went with the philosophy that if I help one person, my life will have been worthwhile. And I really believe that you never know when you're helping somebody what the impact will be. You just have to trust that you do what you can and that it will have a, a positive benefit. And you give with your heart and you give with true meaning and then life has a purpose for me. And I know at least for some, it will make their lives better. Well, you have made a difference in so many people's lives um, in so many different ways. Again, like I said, the selfless giving, um, the sacrifice, but the joy and you've been able to see the ripple effect of how what you've done has impacted others and continuously do that. So you are my Shiro. Thank you so Thank you. much for being Thank here. you so much. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Brains, contact Carolyn. Okay. I'm going to put all of her contact information. We're going to get it in just a second, but I need you to go in. I do what you said you were going to do. Okay, promise to love, like, share, and subscribe. Love, like, share, and subscribe to On the Edge. We're going to bring you the best and the brightest. We're going to bring you people's testimonies. We're going to find redemption. We're going to find challenges. 
But what we're doing is we're trying to provide information. And, you know, information is nothing until it's applied. Right, Carolyn? Absolutely. Tell my brains how to get in contact with you, Queen. Okay. So I have a website, carolyncon.com. And if anybody's interested in a 15-minute free consultation, I encourage you to sign up there. Doesn't hurt. Doesn't cost you anything. Again, just people understanding I am not a psychiatrist or psychologist, and I'm not here to diagnose people. I'm here to help them move forward in their life and find purpose. Thank you. And again, thank you for coming and visiting me. You know where I am. So when you're down this way, I will be there. You will be there and bring Bella. Okay. All thank right. you so much. Thank you. Bye, Bye brains. brains. We love you. Mm -hmm.